Okay, folks, it gets easier from here. (laughs) Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, and I want to talk to you about that very thing. What is essential for life and and how it is faith? This 11th chapter of Hebrews teaches us that very thing. In fact, uh, you know, we we saw at the very beginning that... uh, uh, that he defined faith for us. Faith is the reality of what's hoped for, and it's the proof of what is not seen, Hebrews 1.11. And today, in fact, for the last uh, several weeks, we've been going through, um, uh, we've been going through this 11th chapter, and we're going to wrap it up today. Um, but maybe this might be one of the most important messages on faith that I've ever preached. I think it's very important because it's going to hit us, I think, right where we are. You know, in the entire book of Hebrews, uh, the writer has been providing or presenting to us the Lord Jesus. He really is not just essential for life. He is the prize of life. And what we've been talking about is, and, and I, I actually, for me personally, I gave a title to the book of Hebrews, Eyes on the Prize. And the prize is Jesus. The prize is, that's the right answer, right? That was given here just a moment ago. The prize is Jesus. But how do you keep your eyes on the prize? How do you appropriate the Lord Jesus in your own life? How do you reach out and grab a hold of him? And the answer is, we do this by faith. And that's why faith is essential for life. So, so, and that's ex- the whole point here in Hebrews chapter 11. So he defines faith for us in verse 1, and then he reminds us in verse 6 that without faith it's impossible to please God, not just hard, but absolutely impossible. That is, you can't have a right relationship with God in Christ Jesus apart from your faith. So it is absolutely essential for life, because if you're going to have a relationship with God who is life, then you are going to have to come to him by faith. And so what he did for us here in Hebrews chapter 11 is he gave us what is called this roll call of faith or examples of faith and how faith was appropriated in life. And I just want to remind us again that we don't want to look at people in the Bible or characters in the Bible as if they were something special. Uh, because they really are not. They're just ordinary people. Maybe they had extraordinary faith, but nothing uh, so different that any of us couldn't have the same thing. In fact, I really believe that this 11th chapter of Hebrews and this roll call of faith continues to be written out in the life of the people of God or the life of the church as God's people live by faith and appropriate faith. We saw, for example, Let's see, Cain and Abel, and uh, he started with Abel, and Abel uh, showed us uh, what it means to worship by faith. And then there was Enoch, and there was the walking by faith. And then there was Noah, and there is the appropriating the promises of God, which is vital for our lives. How do we do that? By faith. And then he showed us Abraham who was tested in his faith and then who, uh, who brought his family together. So faith works in the family. And what we're seeing is that, work, is that faith is active or works in the child of God in every area and aspect uh, of our life. And then we saw how faith knocks down walls and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. And so faith is the power of God uh, put into practice 
in our lives. How do we appropriate God's power? How do we put it to work? We put it into work by faith. Okay, so faith operates or act, is activated or is active in every aspect, every part of the life of a child of God. It is essential for life. Okay, so what else do we need to say? What else can be said? Well, interestingly enough, and I ask that question because that's the question that he asked here in verse 32, which is going to be our first verse today. We're going to go down through the end of the chapter. But he says, what more can I say? In other words, there's been so much more, or there's been so much said about faith and how it works and operates in your life. And then we've just kind of gone down through the list. What else needs to be said about faith? And I'll tell you what he's going to do for us in these last couple of verses. He's going to help us to not get to the place where we worship faith rather than worship God. Remember, eyes on the prize. And what happens is if, if something come, becomes so vital to us, we get our eyes on it rather than on the Lord, then we've actually fallen away or we've turned away. So what he's going to warn us about here or what he's going to lay out for us here is maybe I, we might even call it the limitations of faith. But he's kind of like, don't be so enamored by faith that you forget what it really is all about is about God. And let me give you an example. I mean, there are some places today, in fact, there's a lot of distorted views when it comes to faith. And there are some churches you can go to. In fact, you could, uh, you could turn on the TV uh, when you get home and probably find a very popular, famous preacher from right up here in Houston. And he's going to tell you how, how with faith... You can really get anything you want. This is called, it's called a prosperity gospel, or a name it and claim it. If you uh, don't have it, if you're sick, all you need to do is, uh, is have enough faith, and then you're going to be healed. If you need some more money, then uh, if you have enough faith, you're going to get that money. You're going to be healthy and prosperous because this is what God wants to do in your life, and he'll do it by faith. That's the teaching. And by the way, if you want to send me some money and plant a seed of faith, then God is really going to bless that. And that's kind of the way it comes out on television, right? And I'm not saying uh, do that, blood, because I, I, we're going to go opposite of that. But, but that's the way it's taught today. And this is false teaching. And so the writer of Hebrews here is going to help us not to get carried away by faith, that is, to keep your eyes on the prize. So here we go, beginning in verse 32. He says, and what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who, by faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength in weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. And I want you to notice that all of that is really cool, positive, powerful things. Now, right here in the middle of verse 35, the tone changes just a, bit, just a little bit. Others, he said, other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others uh, experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They died by the sword. 
They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute. Wait a minute, destitute? All they needed to have enough faith, they'll get all the money they want, right? Evidently not. Destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All of these were approved. Watch this. All of these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised since God has provided something better for who? Us. Us. Now circle that word us there. It's going to be important here in just a minute. Since God has provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his word. Okay, so I want to give you three things here. I've entitled this sermon, Faith in God's Will. And uh, uh, I want to give you three things here. And my heart's desire is, is that when we leave here, we will have not just a proper understanding of how faith works in our life, how it doesn't work in our lives, and what we need to do about it. So three things. Here's the first thing that I want to give you. Sometimes, when we're talking about faith in God's will, sometimes God miraculously and providentially delivers his people from harm by faith. All right? Now watch this. And the, and the key word here, or, or the thing is, is he is operating, he is working in our lives through faith. Sometimes God miraculously and providentially delivers his people from harm by faith. Now, God is a miracle-working God, and that really is the point here. He is, a, he is a miracle-working God, and he works through divine providence. And I want to talk about each one of those real quick, but, but that really is the point here, beginning in verse 32 and going down through the first half of verse 35, that God works miracles and that God works providentially. And so what he does here is he mentions some guys, a guy by the name of Gideon. And uh, these first four guys are uh, judges. And you can go back and read their stories uh, in the book of Judges. Gideon, for example, was, uh, uh, he was a farmer. He was uh, uh, winnowing some wheat down in, uh, in a wine press. He was hiding out from the Midianites. He was hoping they wouldn't come along and steal his grain. And the angel of the Lord came by and said, hey, you're a mighty warrior of God. And he said, who, me? Who are you talking about? And God said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to use you to defeat the Midianites. And then God uh, took that man, and he started out with an army of 32,000, got him down to about 300. And they defeated, that 300 defeated a major force uh, known as uh, uh, a force of the Midianites in battle, and God and God worked through this faith of this man who really didn't have a whole lot of faith, and yet God used him and God worked in his life to deliver God's people from their enemies. The next guy he mentions here is Barack. This is not a Barack Obama. This is just Barack. Barack, and um, Barack was uh, he was also a guy who didn't have a whole lot of faith either. And uh, the judge, who was a woman at the time named Deborah, uh, 
incorporated him or encouraged him to lead the, the army, and he really wasn't sure he could do that, but he did, and God delivered his people through this, through this man who didn't have a lot of faith, but he did it through his faith and through the faith of uh, Deborah the judge. And then uh, he mentioned Samson. And I don't know if you've gone back and read the story of Samson, and we, you know, tell stories about Samson, the Brooks strong guy and everything. Samson was one messed up dude. I mean, he just really, I mean, he, he, uh, he was uh, controlled by his passions. He, uh, uh, he couldn't keep his hands off the women. He couldn't keep his mouth shut. He had a hard time, uh, you know, even trusting God. But God used him, and the Scripture says he did it through faith. And then there's this dude named Jephthah who is another messed up guy. And basically all four of these guys teach that God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick, right? I mean, we've said that before. And, and he, they were commended by their faith. Jephthah, uh, Jephthah is the one who uh, made the rash vow after God used him to defeat the enemies of God that whoever came out of his house first, he would offer him to the Lord. And it was his young daughter. And he ended up evidently uh, making a child sacrifice, and so, and so these people are not giants of faith, but somehow, someway, they were used by God. And then he goes on and talks about uh, uh, David. And we know David killed a, he killed a uh, giant Goliath, and then he became the king of Israel, and God used him in a mighty way. Samuel, who was another man, evidently he had strong faith, and, and uh, yet he... Uh, he gave Israel Saul, who turned out to be a disaster for him, and then, uh, and then David. And then he goes on and mentions they gained strength and weakness. I think he's probably talking about Gideon there because that's what happened to Gideon. They were mighty in battle. That would be David. And uh, they put ar foreign armies to flight. Again, uh, uh, all of these judges. And then it says um, uh, women received... Uh, the dead back to life. Wait a minute, I missed something here. Uh, let me back up. Who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained the promise, shut the mouth of lions. Now, who's, who's that? The mouth of lions, by the way, is mentioned in uh, verse 33. Now, who are we talking about shut the mouth of lions? Daniel, right? So you remember what happened to Daniel. You know, he, uh, he was a man of God, and uh, he believed that God wanted him to pray every day. And there was a, an order by the king, you can't pray to any God except the king for 30 days. Well, that didn't matter to him. He was, he was going to pray to God. And they arrested him, and they threw him in the lion's den. The minute they threw him in the lion's den, Daniel was a dead man. Except that God had gone before him in, to the lion's den and shut the mouths of, lion, of the lions. Miraculously. Daniel was preserved in the lion's den by a miracle. Sometimes God uses miracles to to deliver his people. He goes on to mention, after Daniel and the lion's den, they quenched raging fire in the first part of verse 34. Who are we talking about there? Probably Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were commanded by old King Nebuchadnezzar, you bow down and worship my golden idol, or I'm going to throw you into the burning, fiery furnace. And they said, well, King, we don't, we don't care what you're going to do. All we know is what God's going to do, and we're not going to worship your idol. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. The minute they were thrown in there, they were dead men. In fact, the guys who threw them in died. Except for the fact that God was already in the fire. And he miraculously preserved their lives. Sometimes God works through miracles in our life. And he preserves our life miraculously. 
He has the power to do it. He can do anything, and he does. In Psalm 77, 13 and 14, the Bible says, God, this is the, the psalmist, and he's demonstrating his faith here. He's talking about God. He says, God, your way is holy. What God is great like God, our God. You are the God who works wonders, right in miracles there. You're the God who works wonders. You revealed your strength among the peoples. And what he's saying there is, is that God is a miracle-working God. He works in the life of his people to preserve and to protect their life. Now, you know, when I say that, I'm, I'm thinking about some, uh, some individuals I, I was uh, for illustrations of this particular point, I'm thinking about a guy who uh, was a member of our church when I came. He's since gone on to be with the Lord. In fact, two guys. First guy is a guy by the name of Albert Rickway. And I, I don't know if you folks, uh, most, some of you are going to remember Albert Rickway. He was one of our deacons. He was a faithful man of the Lord. He just loved the Lord. Man, he had one of the sweetest one of the sweetest men of faith, honestly, that I've ever known. And he, he loved to tell the story. He, I, I can't tell you how many times he told me, and sometimes he'd forget that he told me, so he wanted to tell me again. But he gave testimony to how a number of times he was miraculously delivered. One time, and, and I don't quite remember all the details, but he's driving along in a pouring rainstorm, and he can't see, and, uh, you know, he's worried about running into somebody or whatnot. And then all of a sudden, it just stopped raining, and right in front of him was this big, massive truck or something that he would have hit if it had kept raining and you couldn't convince Albert that it wasn't the miraculous deliverance of God that caused it to stop raining at that moment and preserve his life on another time he was uh, driving and uh, uh, he made it all the way and he got all the way home they had gone up uh, somewhere uh, to visit family and several hours away and uh, he, he just sensed that something was wrong. He turned around, came back, and the wheel fell off of his tire when he pulled into the driveway, right? And, and when they took it to the shop, the guy said, I don't know how you drove it at all like this. And, and you could, again, you could not convince Albert that, uh, that God hadn't preserved him, that God had kept that wheel on the, uh, on the car until he got back and they were safe. I mean, God miraculously protected them. That was his testimony. We had another guy in our church, and uh, he just passed away just a couple of years ago, Johnny Tahachik. <laughs> and uh, Johnny was the same way. He had several uh, times in which he had been diagnosed with something or something. And, you know, Johnny was one of the most unique individuals I think I ever personally met. But... Uh, uh, but there were several times when uh, uh, he had gone to the doctor, something had happened or something he, you know, just couldn't get over and he prayed about. And God just miraculously changed the situation, went back to the doctor, and now it's gone, you know, or whatever, whatever it was. Sometimes God miraculously delivers his people. And, and what a miracle is, is God in power breaking in to the normal uh, uh, systems and activities of life and doing what only God can do and taking away the danger or putting something else in there. However, miraculously, and when you look at it, the only thing you can say is that was God. That was, that's a miracle. And God is a miracle-working God. And sometimes he delivers his people, he protects his people by miraculous activity. But I also mentioned uh, divine providence, and providence is the workings of God kind of unseen. 
And so you might call this the unseen hand of God. That is, God working, uh, you know, situations uh, out. Or it might be this, you get stopped at the, um, uh, you know, by the train. And so you have to sit there until the train passes, and then you go merrily on your way. And what you may not have realized or known was if you hadn't got stopped in the train, you would have been in the right place at the right time to get into a wreck, and you would have been killed and everybody else. But somehow God working behind the scenes without you even knowing it. And most of these things we'll never know. I mean, some, some of the things maybe we, we can figure out, but most of the time it's the unseen hand of God working in the life of his people. And you see this in like Gideon's life, these guys that he mentioned in Jephthah, in Barak. God is at work, although it's not in a miraculous way. It's just, it's just organizing and ordering the situations and the things uh, of our life. And sometimes God protects his people, heals his people, saves his people through the miraculous. Sometimes he does it through providence, he acts in our lives to bring healing and health and whatever it is that God wants to do, okay? Sometimes that happens. But now, the other side of that is, is what about the other times? What if God doesn't work miraculously or supernaturally? And that brings me to point number two. Sometimes God sustains and comforts his people through suffering by faith. Sometimes he sustains and comforts his people. He doesn't heal them or deliver them. He sustains and comforts. That's the impact beginning of the text beginning here in verse 35, the second half, where he says other people were tortured. Now, the first half, you have folks uh, defeating enemies, uh, uh, being used by God, uh, being saved from the fire, all this other stuff. And now you've got people being tortured and facing, you know, bad things happening. And here's the bottom line. Let me give you the bottom line and we'll talk about it in a minute. Faith in God is no guarantee of safety and security in this life. All right? Now get this. Faith in, just because you have faith in God, it's not a guarantee of safety and security in this life. Does it mean just because you have faith in God, does it mean you're always going to be healed physically? Does it mean you're always going to have, you know, all the money you need or whatever else that all you have to do is name it and claim it and God's going to provide it? That's not what, I want you to notice, he, he describes these people. Some were tortured. They wouldn't accept release. Um, others were mocked. Verse 36, they were scourged. They were bound and put in prison. Some were stoned. Some were sawn in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin. It goes on. And look down at verse 39. He says, all these. Well, who's the all these he's talking about there? All these who were delivered miraculously and providentially. And all these who weren't. All these, he says, were approved through their faith. In other words... Their faith was not the determining factor on whether or not they were delivered or not, on whether or not they were healed or not. Because, you see, there's no break. There's no difference made here between those who were taken care of miraculously and providentially and those who weren't. 
The ones who were delivered were delivered by God through their faith. Those who weren't delivered still had the same faith, and they received the approval of God. It wasn't that they weren't delivered because they had God's disapproval. I want you to hear that. And let's just get more specific here just a little bit. Look down at verse 35. Verse 35, it says some people were tortured. People were tortured. Now, if, some pe- if somebody's being tortured, that means there's a torturer, right? Now, couldn't God turn the heart of the torturer away from his child, his, the person who believed in him, had faith in him? Couldn't God turn his heart away to stop the torture? And the answer is yes, because we know that God can change a person's heart. But these people were tortured, and God didn't turn their heart away, turn the torturer's heart away from torturing them. Why not? If God could have softened their heart, and he didn't. Was it because God just didn't love those folks that much? Or maybe they just didn't have enough faith I mean, is that the problem here? When God doesn't stop one of his children from being tortured, what the writer is trying to teach us here, it's not because God doesn't love them, and it's not because they don't have enough faith. And not only that, God doesn't always lessen the agony of his children. I want you to see something else here. It's in that 37th verse. It says, they were stoned and they were sawn in two. They were sawn in two. Can you imagine be saw, being sawn in two, cut in two? You know who this is talking about? The prophet Isaiah. In fact, this is not in the Bible, but it's a later uh, uh, story about Isaiah that under the, uh, the king of Judah, Manasseh, who is one of the worst kings, one of the most pagan kings ever, he's in the lineage of David, he reigned in Jerusalem, but he brought paganism back, and uh, he desecrated the temple, and everything else like that. He was, he was a king, sorry king. Isaiah prophesied against him, and Manasseh had his men go out and uh, search for Isaiah and kill him. Well, Isaiah was hiding out in a tree trunk, and this is the story. He was hiding out in this hollow tree, and they found him. And Manasseh said, cut the tree in two. And they cut the tree in two. And in cutting the tree in two, they cut Isaiah in two. Can you imagine being killed that way? And, you know, you ask the question, well, well couldn't God have maybe uh, hidden him a little better? Or couldn't God have made him maybe not recognize that he was in the tree? And so they went that way, and then Isaiah's life was saved. And, and the answer is yes. And I wonder, did he get sawn in two because he didn't pray enough or... Maybe he didn't have enough faith, or maybe God didn't love him, except we're talking about Isaiah the prophet. Couldn't God have providentially saved him? Couldn't God have miraculously saved him? And the answer is yes. There's another example here I want you to see. It's it's very clear here. It says um, in the first part of the passage, back up um, uh, in verse 34, it says, uh, that f- by faith quenched the, f- the raging fire and escaped the edge of the sword. Right? Some people escaped the edge of the sword by their faith. But then it says down in verse, uh, verse 37, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they died by the sword. Well, wait a minute. Some escaped the edge of the sword, 
Some died by the edge of the sword. I mean, what's that all about? You know, if you go to Acts chapter 12, there's the account there of Herod Agrippa, who was one of Herod's sons, and he ruled after Herod the Great. He's just called Herod in the text. But he arrested, he was arresting Christians. And one of the, one of the Christians he arrested was James the Apostle. You know, one of the, he's one of the sons of Zebedee. He's uh, John's brother. And James gets arrested. And it says there in verse 1 of chapter 12 that he, that he killed him by the sword. He cut his head off. And he saw that that plea, here's, here's Herod, he saw that that pleased, you know, the Pharisees and the religious folk and the Jewish folk. So he started arresting more Christians. And one of the guys he rounded up was Peter. And he put him in the dungeon and he was planning the next day he's going to bring him out and cut his head off. Except during the night, the angel of the Lord came along and opened uh, the prison door and led Peter out. And so he was miraculously saved. You remember that account? Go back and read it sometime. Acts chapter 12. So James lost his head by the edge of the sword. Peter had his head cut off. By the, uh, or excuse me, Peter was saved. He was delivered by the sword. James had his head cut off. Peter was delivered. One was delivered one was not. Now, what's, what, what, what question do you want to ask? Why? Yeah, of course. That, that's the answer. That's the question we ask. Why this one and why not that one? And, you know, I, I mentioned miracles uh, earlier. And, 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 and the people, I mean, you know, they're, they're, and maybe some of you could give a testimony of a miracle that God has performed in your own life which is really cool, man, and that's pretty exciting. And, you know, some people, I'm, I'm aware of, some people have had cancer, and then they have miraculously been cured of that cancer. They've gone back to the doctor, and there's no cancer. But then we have other people in our church who got cancer, and they died by cancer. Why did, why did God miraculously deliver one and not deliver the other? <laughs> Or somebody got stopped by the train maybe and didn't get in the wreck. Somebody else didn't get stopped by the train and they got in the wreck and they killed. Why did one get killed and one not? I mean, you know, do you understand, do you understand the issue? So God works miracles and God works in providence. And some people are delivered and some not. And you're in persecution. We, we could just kind of make this a little more personal for us. Do you know in our world today, there are 44 countries that are um, Muslim-ruled, and it is illegal to be a Christian in those 44 countries. There's other countries where it's, it's difficult, but in those 44, and there's, there's 44 countries, it's illegal to be a Christian. And if you convert somebody to Christianity, you can be killed or if, you're, if you convert to Christianity, you can be killed. And believers are being severely persecuted. I was just reading uh, this morning about uh, the nation of Chad, which is undergoing right now uh, severe persecution by, by these Muslim mil militias who are rounding up believers, and they're killing them. Right? Now, that's going on in this world, and here we are. We've gathered here this morning, and we're free to worship freely. Nobody's going to break that door down and drag us off, persecute us, right? Kill us. 
Why them? Why not us? We might say, well, we've got, a, you know, we've got this greatest country in the world and it's founded on Christian Judeo print. Great. It's true. But why? Why did that take place here and not take place somewhere else? Does God love us more than he loves those folks over there? Right? I mean, do you see? Sometimes God miraculously and providentially protects and saves his people from harm by faith. People of faith we're talking about. Other times he does not. What's the difference? And that brings me to the third thing here. In fact, let me, let me just say before I say this, in answer to that question, why, I want to say, first of all, that it's not because God loves one more than the other, and it's not because one has more faith than the other. That is not the answer. The true answer is, I don't personally know why God saves one and not the other. But what I do know is that God is God, and he is sovereign. And here's the answer. The will of God determines whether and how we are delivered or sustained. That is, if we were miraculously delivered and or providentially delivered from whatever, it's because God determines it and God wills it. If we're not providentially delivered, if we're not providentially sustained, then God has willed it, which means, beloved, listen to this. Listen to what this means. It means that we're in the hands of God. It means that God is sovereign. He's the one that created everything, and he is able to do whatever he wants to do, even in our own lives. We might not like that. We want what we want, but God is God. And I'll be honest with you. It gives me a great deal of comfort when I think about it in these terms because I recognize that, there is, that God is at work and there is a purpose and plan that is taking place in my life or through my life and God is working this through faith. It tells me that there is a higher explanation for what's going on in my life than just fate or chance or circumstance. So if I suffer, I'm suffering under the divine direction or guidance of God that I am not just thrown out there to the, to the whims of fate and chance and circumstance but that God who has a purpose and plan is working that out in my life I might not understand it I might not even like it but it is God who is who does it and I can trust him and I will trust him I mean wouldn't it be terrible to believe wouldn't it be terrible to believe that the reason you suffer is because well you just don't have enough faith that's what some people are teaching today And I'll tell you what, I'm never going to stand by the hospital bed of someone and say, hey, listen, you'll be healed if you just believe God enough, if you just have enough faith. I'm never going to say that. I'm going to stand by somebody's bed and say, listen, whether we live or die, we're in the hands of God and he is faithful. Isn't this what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21? For me, he said, to live is Christ. For me, to live is Christ. To die is gain, which means that if I'm in the hands of God and I know he loves me and I might not understand all of his ways or all his things, I might not even like the things that come into my life, I know I can trust him. I want you to, show, I want you to see that faith works because it produces something better within us. Look back down at verse 35. 
It says other people were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. A better resurrection? What's better than the resurrection, right? Well, I'll tell you what it is. I mean, and maybe he's thinking back to uh, the 11th chapter of John where Jesus stands outside of the tomb of Lazarus and says, Hey, Lazarus, come on out of that tomb. And the one who was dead, the Bible says, came out. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, right? Would there be anything better than that? Well, think about this. Lazarus was raised, but he died again. You know what a better resurrection would be? One in which you don't die again. If you're raised and never die again. In fact, remember that Jesus stood outside of that tomb and before he said, hey, Lazarus, come out. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that believeth in me and live shall never die. There's the better resurrection. There's the better resurrection. There's the better thing. They accepted the will and the purposes and plans of God because God has got something better. In fact, I, I pointed out to you, look down at verse 40 now, the last verse here. Since God has provided something better for us. And I told you to circle us. And I'll tell you why he changed the uh, personal pronoun here from them to us. He's been talking about all these people of faith. And now you say, but God's got something better for us. And we can trust him because he wants us to see that faith is not just, it doesn't just work for those people of old. You know, back in the Old Testament, those who, you know, like Daniel and all them other guys. That's not what faith, you know, that's not all that faith does. Faith produces life for us now. It produces something better for us now. Faith in God is not just for then, it's for the now. And let me just give you the bottom line on all this. You might want to write this down, I don't know. Here it is. Here's the better. God is better than anything this life can give you or anything that death can take away from you. God is better than anything this life can give you and anything this world can take away from you. And how do you get God? You come to him by faith. So God determines whether I live or die. And one of the verses I put up here that I missed was Romans 8, 28. We know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's his providential activity. God works miraculously. God works providentially to deliver his people. Sometimes he sustains us in our suffering. Sometimes he comforts us in our grief rather than heal us. But in all of this, God and his will is what trumps everything. God is God and I can trust him. That's what the writer is trying to bring us to. So that we don't have this misunderstanding about faith, but that we keep our eyes on the prize, the Lord Jesus. You know, there's a, one of the most incredible verses in all the Bible. It's found in the book of Job. And I want you to remember all the things that Job went through and all the suffering and everything. And he never knew why. He asked why. He had some friends came and tell him why. They didn't know what they were talking about. 
But in one point there, as Job is speaking in verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 15, he says, even if he kills me, and he's talking about God, even if he kills me, I will hope in him. That word hope could be translated trust. I will faith him. Even if God were to come up and stick a gun to my head and pull the trigger, I'm going to believe that God has what's best for me. Though he kill me, I'm going to hope in him because it really is all about him. And beloved, what I'm saying is, is you can trust God. You can trust his will, his ways, his purposes, his plans in your life. You might not always understand them. You might not always like them. Things might not work out the way you want. He might deliver you miraculously sometime. Other times he might just sustain you. But God is God and you can trust him. And that's the point of our passage of scripture here. And so the question is, am I going to trust him? In 2015, in uh, the country of Libya, a group known as ISIS or the Islamic State, they captured, they took hostage 20 uh, Egyptian men as prisoners. They were Christians. They were Coptic Christians. And uh, they eventually lined these guys up out on, the, um, uh, on a beach, and they cut their heads off. They beheaded them, and they filmed it, and then they, uh, they put that film out, or that video out, and they said, this is what's going to happen to all the followers of the Christ unless you submit to, to Islam. All the followers of the cross, unless and until you submit to Islam, this is what we're going to do to you. Okay, that, that's what the Islamic State uh, said. Right. Now, what's interesting about this, and I've shown this picture here in particular. This is a picture that's taken from that video. Uh, there's, there's a total of 21 men there. Now, I said that there were 20 Egyptian Christians, and they were working in Libya, and ISIS actually uh, uh, kidnapped them, but they took 21, and they killed 21. I want you to look at this picture. And I want you to notice... Uh, the one guy in the middle, see the guy in camouflage there, the ISIS fighter that's in camouflage? He's holding on to a guy. Do you notice that he looks different from those other two that you can see there? Those other two are Egyptians. This guy is not an Egyptian. He's Ethiopian. And he wasn't a Christian. He was a Muslim. But he was working with these Christians. Now, ISIS, when they took these guys out there, they gave them the chance, renounce your faith in Christ and we won't kill you. And none of the 20 Christians would renounce their faith in Christ, and so their heads were chopped off. This one guy who was a Muslim and had been working with these guys, he could have gone free, but he didn't because he saw the faith of these Christian men, and he decided that he was not going to renounce that. He actually professed faith in Christ, and they killed him for that profession of faith in Christ. Why in the world would somebody do something like that? Well, maybe he was looking for a better resurrection. That's the only answer. He was looking for a better resurrection. Could God have miraculously delivered those guys? Yeah. Could he providentially maybe save them in some way? Yes. He did not. And they died looking for something better. 
from the Lord. Let me ask you, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Are you looking for that health and wealth? I mean, you know, because I tell you what, we could preach that. I mean, and it preaches. I mean, because it makes people, hey, if you just have enough faith, man, God's going to heal you. If you have enough faith, uh, you're going to have all the money you want. And if you don't get healed, it must be because you don't have enough faith. Or if you don't get all the money you want, then it must be because you don't have enough faith. What are you looking for in this life? I mean, if you're looking for the things in this life, you're probably going to find some of it. But it's going to let you down. If you're looking for something better, I'll tell you, God is better for you than anything this world can give you or anything that death can take away from you. And the only way you come to him is by faith. Faith is essential for life. But it's faith in him. And his trust in him. Father, I would ask you today in the name of Jesus that as we just, you know, consider who and what we are and what we're looking for, Lord, may we look for that something better. I know, Father, that there's a lot of different things that, you know, that we might be uh, uh, searching for today. I pray, God, that you would help us to see everything for what it is, the truth, the reality. And, God, that you would just take all the things away that, Lord, you uh, don't have for us. And whether we live or die, may we live in Christ Jesus by faith. And, Lord, that might mean somebody today here for the first time needs to say yes to Jesus and find life. Or maybe we've been looking for something else and struggling for something else, but it's not been by faith. Lord, today... Would you show us our life? And God, may we come by faith to you. It's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.